welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. In today's episode, we're going to talk about all of the ranking fluctuations that we're seeing in early February. There's some talk of a possible algorithm update this week, but I actually think that what we're seeing is just a continuing fluctuation that started in early February. This episode is number 172 of the podcast, which you can find at mariehaines.com slash podcast. And it corresponds with our newsletter episode, which uh, number 172, which you can find at mariehaines.com slash newsletter. There's quite a bit of stuff in the newsletter this week that I'm not going to be sharing on podcast today. Uh, for the last few weeks, I've been doing a little bit more babbling about my theories and sharing about what my team and I feel is happening with Google's algorithms and with SEO in general. When I first started recording this podcast, I was basically just reading the newsletter and I, I've really, really enjoyed this new format where I can just chat with you. <laughs> you know, in doing this, it's probably been good for my marriage. <laughs> David's usually the one who has to listen to me babble on forever about what I think Google's doing. And I've noticed that ever since I put my thoughts down for podcast, I talk to him about more interesting things like I don't know, the Leafs winning the cup this year or what kind of hot sauce he snuck into my spaghetti sauce. He does that from time to time. He's kind of evil sometimes. So thank you for being there for me while I get to share these thoughts in podcast. Um, before I get too far in this episode, I should let you know that I'm not going to be recording a podcast episode next week which could strike fear in the hearts of many of you that have known me for some time. There, there's a running joke that every time I go on vacation, Google launches a significant update. Now, I don't really think that's true. I'm pretty sure Google, you know, they don't secretly uh, time their launches around my calendar, uh, but it has happened a lot in the past. Uh, the most notable of those times was September of 2016. So, I first started getting interested in SEO in 2008 and 10 years ago today, actually February 24th, 2011 was when Google launched the algorithm that's named after it's one of its creators, Nanveet Panda. It really, really shook the SEO world. And because a lot of major websites were disrupted by this uh, update, but the update was, that was the one that was really responsible for pulling me out of my career, my very happy career as a veterinarian, and making me be completely obsessed with trying to figure out what it is that Google was doing here was the penguin algorithm. So I think I started taking clients to help them with their penguin issues at some point in 2013. I did mostly manual actions at first because there's a very definite endpoint when you do a manual action. My promise to my manual action clients is not that I would get them to rank again, but simply that I'd get the manual action removed from Google search console. But as penguin became more and more a part of the algorithm, it affected pretty much every SEO in the world that had built their own links to some sort of scale, which really was a lot of SEOs. So in September of 2016, I had a large number of clients that were waiting for Google to update the penguin algorithm because back then you wouldn't see any recovery from disavowing with disavowing until Google reran this algorithm. So this was super frustrating for me and for any website that was trying to recover because prior to this, the last official penguin update was from, uh, from Google was in October of 2014, almost two years previous. Now 
in hindsight, <laughs> had we known it was going to take two years for Google to rerun this algorithm, there's many businesses, I probably would have just advised them to uh, start a new site instead of trying to recover. But we had been waiting for years for Penguin to update. So fast forward to September of 2016, and I decide to take a weekend off. Uh, I'm not joking. I, I worked, I used to work every day from the very early morning hours until the evening, like late into the evening most days. And I worked every weekend and, you know, I didn't really call it work because I loved it so much, but still I never took any time off. So back then I decided I was going to go to Toronto for an Ingress tournament. Some of you might know what Ingress is. It's the game that is the precursor to Pokemon Go. Uh, and I had a lot of fun. I used to do that years ago. Uh, so I told myself, I'm not going to look at Twitter and I'm not going to look at any client sites. I'm just going to completely separate myself from work for this weekend. And I remember I was on the train to Toronto and there was very spotty Wi-Fi. And at some point we went past some mountain or something. I don't know what it was, but we went past uh, something in... Uh, the Wi-Fi was gone. And then when it came back, all of a sudden I had a whole bunch of messages from people waiting for me that I just couldn't ignore. And it turns out that after two years of waiting, that was the day. I finally decided to take a day off and Google decided to launch Penguin 4.0. So, <laughs> and let me tell you, I'm still studying Penguin 4.0 five years ago, you know, five years later. Uh, this was the update where Google said that now instead of Penguin being a demoting algorithm, they felt really confident in their ability to just ignore links that are unnatural. And we're still trying to figure that out to this day. So I'm going to try to take next week off. Uh, I'm officially quote on vacation. Uh, but because it's a pandemic, I'm basically just going to play a whole heck of a lot of Fortnite, <laughs> more Fortnite than I usually do. And I'm going to do my best to stay off Twitter and Slack and, and just recharge my batteries for a week. So if Google does something while I'm off, I'm not going to break my vacation to figure it out. And if you see me on Twitter next week, hold me to that because because I'm going to try really hard to take this week off. Okay, back to algo stuff. At the beginning of every podcast episode, I usually talk about what we think happened in terms of Google updates over the last week. If you've been listening for a while, you know that we've been kind of obsessed about the date February 6th. The, the last, uh, just a bit of a recap, Barry Schwartz reported that he felt there was some kind of an update, uh, Google update that happened February 8th. And we do have a number of clients that are seeing changes that start on the 8th, but we have more clients that have changes starting on the 6th of February. Google came out and told us that they launched passage-based ranking on the 10th of February. And Danny Sullivan told us that February 6th was not passage-based ranking. And then just as I said last week, to confuse matters, a good number of sites across the web saw spikes of bot traffic in Google Analytics, either January 31st or during the first week of February again. So if you're confused about what Google's doing, you're, you're not alone. This week, Barry Schwartz has an article on Search Engine Roundtable uh, just today, actually, saying that he was hesitant about whether or not to call this an update, but there's a quite a bit of chatter again about something happening further in Google's algorithms this week. And I know there's somebody out there that's saying, well, yeah, Google changes their algorithms multiple times per day. Um, of course something happened, but I'm telling you, whatever happened February 6th, was bigger than anybody was talking about. And I actually think that uh, February 20th this week was just another tweak to that February 6th thing. 
Uh, it kind of reminds me of back uh, February 7th, it's a bit kind of confusing all these Februaries, uh, of 2017, which was a month before Google launched Fred. Every, everybody was, you know, that was a big deal. We all paid a lot of attention to Fred, but the month before that, there was a big update that I think was very strongly connected to EAT that the SEO community just kind of ignored. So... Um, when we look at our data for this last week, it's really interesting to see what we're seeing. We have a, quite a few sites that are seeing nice improvements starting February 20th. And I think that probably something significant happened on that date as well. So I decided I'm not going to look into each one of these dates specifically. In the past, it was really important to pinpoint certain dates. Because we could say, well, if your traffic changed on February 24th, 2011, then that was the Panda algorithm. And, and we knew to look for issues with thin content. Or if your traffic dropped on April 24th, 2012, it was important for us to identify that date because there was a good chance that this was connected to the Penguin algorithm, which meant that we should be looking at links as the issue for this particular website. But more and more with Google updates, it's hard to find a specific focus for each update. Sometimes we can. Sometimes we can get clues based on what Google's changed in the quality raters guidelines. We can find patterns amongst the sites that were hit sometimes that can help us find other clients or help other clients. For example, we had loads of sites contact us after the June 3rd, 2019 core update. And it didn't take us long to recognize that the majority of the sites that were contacting us uh, were alternative medical sites. Now, that update affected a lot of different websites, but definitely there was something strong there. Um, and they were all sites that in some way contradicted scientific consensus, which is laid out very, very clearly in the quality raters guidelines as a big problem in Google's eyes. I really think, though, that for the last couple of years, the vast majority of significant updates that we've seen have reflected mostly Google's better understanding of language. In October of 2019, Google told us that they're now using BERT to better understand language. And shortly after that, we had an unannounced uh, update on November 8th, 2019. And I, I think that put even further into place Google's understanding of language. As Google gets better and better at understanding what pages are about, and also as they get better and better at figuring out what a searcher is actually looking for, then they get a much better sense of understanding relevancy. And I think so much of what we're seeing now is about relevancy. It's interesting to note that in the latest update to the quality raters guidelines, which was released in October of 2020, there were several new examples given to teach the raters how to assess whether a searcher's needs have been met. I really think that most of the updates we've seen recently and probably most that we're going to see in the next couple of years, if not longer, represent Google just getting better and better at determining relevancy. I was doing some research for my SMX Munich talk, which I'm going to be giving in a couple of weeks time virtually. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be talking about how to use the information in the quality raters guidelines to assess the quality of your content. And uh, one of the things that I came across was a comment on YouTube of a talk. It was on a talk of mine where I spoke at the Optimize the event in Cambridge. And I talked about how the quality raters guidelines and, and, and basically how important they were to Google's algorithms. 
And I saw that there was a really interesting comment thread on this video on YouTube where people were talking about how difficult it is to take the Lionbridge exam. Now, Lionbridge is just one of the companies that provides Google with quality raters. And apparently this exam that you take to become a quality rater has a section that's very, very challenging to pass. And the section is called needs met. <laughs> there were two people in this comment thread who said that they weren't able to pass the Lionbridge exam because the section of the, the exam was so challenging. So when you see the examples in the quality raters guidelines, the raters, they're told to assess every page they look at with two different sliders. One of them's for EAT. And a recent update to the QRG, they actually changed a whole bunch of the places where they called that EAT. They made that say page quality now. So EAT in many cases is synonymous with page quality and business quality and a number of things. But um, so they, they rate each page in terms of page quality. And then they also use the slider to rate whether a searcher's needs have been met. So three years ago, when I gave this speech at Optimizee about the quality raters guidelines, I predicted that this was going to be the next phase in SEO and that soon everybody would be looking to the QRG for answers. And sure enough, last year, Google published a blog post on what webmasters should know about core updates, which essentially summarizes the questions that the quality raters are asked about websites that they visit. I, I'm, I'm going to be talking a lot about that in, uh, my, uh, that blog post in my SMX talk. Again, that's just a few weeks from now, uh, SMX Munich. I'm really looking forward to this. Well, now I'm going to make another prediction and that's not the buzz phrase for people who are on the cutting edge of understanding what works in SEO right now is going to be needs met, which is kind of unfortunate because it's really hard to say. <laughs> I, I can't tell you how many times I've said needs net. So needs met. If you can understand that, let, let me expand on that just a little bit further. I had a Twitter conversation this week with Barry Schwartz and also Glenn Gabe, and we were talking about whether or not passage-based ranking actually had a significant impact for most sites. Now, I'm not here to speak against Barry or Glenn. I greatly respect both of these men and their words actually made me cautious to say too much because uh, we disagreed on some things and I want to be a little bit more sure about what I'm saying, what I'm seeing before I share actual specific details. Um, the other thing that's challenging to when, when it comes to sharing about passage-based ranking and about whatever happened at the beginning of February is that it's really challenging to share actual details about what I'm seeing without actually sharing our client's sites, which is something that, I mean, there are situations where we do case studies and we talk about how well a client did, but I don't think it benefits our clients uh, for me to show what they're trying to rank for and uh, how they've either won or lost in, in algorithm updates. So I'm going to try to share with you in general terms what I think is happening. Um, and then it's likely going to be a few more weeks or more before I actually publish something official, if we actually do that or not, uh, we'll see. Um, so what I've been doing when I'm looking at our clients data is to try to find examples of particular pages that are seeing an abnormal increase or decrease in traffic that starts either February 6th, which is this unnamed update that I keep talking about or February 10th, which is passage based ranking. And then what we're doing is we're finding individual queries for that page that uh, maintained a certain ranking for at least a few months. 
and then we're impacted on one of these dates. This is super challenging because ranking changes all the time. And just because our client jumps from say number three to number one, doesn't necessarily mean that a Google algorithm update favored them. It could just be a normal ranking change. But in each case so far, it really does look like Google's done a good job at finding content that does a great job at meeting searchers' needs. One of our clients has a forum, and I was investigating a particular traffic drop of just one position from number three to number four for one of their main, not their main keywords, one of this page's main keywords. Nothing else changed in that SERP other than there was one site that used to rank, uh, I believe it was six or seven and got elevated above them to now take the number three spot. And it's interesting because it's a post from Medium. Now this Medium post, if my team was reviewing this post, we would flag a number of EAT related issues on it. The author has some medical experience, but they've got very little authority. They're not known online. And this is a medical topic uh, as, as somebody who has medical EAT. And the post itself, it, it really should have medical references, which it's lacking. But if you put yourself in the shoes of somebody who actually searched for this query, that article is better than for searchers than the one that's on our client's site. And this pattern is repeated over and over again. We have one case where our client is known in the, in their industry as one of the best at making a particular product that's used in a lot of do it yourself projects. And, uh, they lost rankings, uh, for just one position again, for the main keyword for this page, uh, that talks about this product and the site that's outranking them now, again, it's not authoritative. They're not well known in the industry. Um, but it truly does have better advice for people who are trying to do this project and need a product like theirs. So it, it, it's going to be hard for me to, to prove my theory here, but what I'm thinking so far is that each update we have, whether it was February 6th, passage-based ranking, some unannounced, unannounced unknown update, like maybe February 20th. I think we need to take a little bit more time before we decide that for sure. I think we can be fairly confident that Google's goal here is to do a better job at surfacing content that meets the needs of users. EAT is still going to be very important, but I'd argue that it's almost like a baseline requirement for ranking now. Um, let me explain that. Years ago, when we did site audits, most of our recommendations for SEO revolved around things that surfaced during a technical audit. Now, paying attention to your technical SEO is super important, but there's very few cases these days where we can go in and we can suggest technical fixes and recover a site that's been strongly hit by a Google algorithm update. So don't get me wrong. You, you can see great improvements uh, on a site by improving technical aspects of SEO. And, and similarly, you can see great improvements on a site by being much more clear in the information that Google's trying to gather in terms of EAT. We, we've had good success in helping clients by recommending things like adding a medical reviewer or using proper references and citations or getting more authoritative links and mentions and all of the hundreds of things we've recommended to help improve Google's assessment of expertise, of authoritativeness, and of trust for your website. And we're gonna keep doing that probably for many years to come just like how we're going to continue to do technical reviews of websites, because the more you can do to improve quality overall, the better. 
But improving upon meeting the needs of users is something that's not easy for an SEO to fix. First, we have to identify what the needs of our users are. And as I mentioned earlier, it's extremely hard for quality raters to pass that part of their exam where they assess whether a searcher's needs have been met. It's going to be hard for us to determine that as well. There's a lot of keywords where I look at the keyword and I go, well, this searcher clearly has this intent. And then when I look at the page, I realize, no, wait, actually, if I did that query, it, it, it seems like Google's elevating pages that answer this part of the, the, the question. And maybe what I think is the searcher's intent is not. I, th I think there's some ways that we can identify user intent. I've seen some great articles recently on using Google's natural language uh, processing API to determine which of your pages have transactional intent and which are informational. But I think that what Google's doing here with their understanding of language, it goes well beyond something that we're going to be able to classify or even measure with a tool. I've probably looked intensely at 30 to 40 different websites right now that I think were impacted either positively or negatively uh, by recent Google algorithm updates in February. And in each case, if we can find who our clients lost rankings to, or in the cases where our clients did well, if we can find who they beat to get better rankings. Um, and as humans, we can say, well, you know, this page actually is the one that I would want to land on. But there aren't any metrics that we can fall back on to predict these movements. It's not like we can say that pages that suffered had bad links pointing to them or pages that did well had better use of headings or perhaps faster load time. Um, at, at this point, all I can really say is that Google really did improve the SERPs when it comes to meeting the needs of searchers. So who knows, possibly we'll have more out in an official capacity on our website at some point in the future. I, I really think a lot of our work with clients for the next little while is going to involve creating some sort of framework to assess whether your content truly is the best of its kind at meeting searchers' needs. I think there's a lot of you out there who may not realize that you've been affected by passage-based ranking or whatever this is that launched uh, early February. I, I'd, I'd encourage you to look at your data in Search Console and just do some clicking around to see if you can find keywords that maintained a decent ranking for several months and then changed either positively or negatively in early February. If you can figure out, uh, for those ones that uh, change negatively, if you can figure out who started ranking you, out, outranking you for those keywords, then I bet in many cases you can get some really good clues as to how to change your content so that it better meets the needs of searchers. I'm going to move on from this topic right now. I, I think it's probably a good thing that I'm on vacation next week. It's going to be a lot easier for me to analyze this stuff with an extra week of data to look at. And uh, who knows what other great stuff from the SEO community will be out next week for me to uh, peruse as well when we're talking about these updates. I, I, I wanted to talk about something that we pulled out of the most recent Google Help Hangouts this week. Somebody asked John Mueller this question about links. When it comes to quality, what exactly do you mean for quality backlinks? I want you to think about that. How about some of the recent links that you've received pointing to your website or maybe your client's websites? If you use Ahrefs or Moz or Majestic or any of those tools that allow you to quickly see your backlinks, I'd encourage you to right now, just take a look at your most recent ones 
and ask yourself whether you think they're quality. Or if you don't subscribe to any of those tools also, you can, you can download your most recent links in search console as well. You're just not going to have as not much information on the anchor text and whether the link is followed or not. So now don't get hung up on all of these spammy links that you see. Every site gets links from spammy image sites and wallpaper sites and weird Asian Alexa clones and, and Google really does just ignore those. But look at your most recent links that aren't spammy links and ask yourself this question. Is this a link that could be considered somebody recommending us or vouching for us in any way? I decided to do this for our own site. So I went to Ahrefs and I clicked on the section in the menu that allows me to see new backlinks pointing to mariehaines.com. Let's see here. All right. So our most recent link comes from a site called SCH Web Design, and it's an article that they've written on what you need to know to rank on Google. And they've linked to the article that we wrote on EAT. That's a recommendation of our content. I didn't ask for that. I didn't organize that. I didn't pay for it. I didn't trade anything for it. That, that site linked out to our content because it was a good resource. They wanted to recommend us. The next one is a link from marketingspeak.com. Huh. This is a podcast episode where they're interviewing Dixon Jones. And again, they're talking about EAT. <laughs> and Dixon says, quote, Marie is always quoted as the woman that talks about it a lot. <laughs> you know me, I'm down with EAT. <laughs> that, that's a recommendation as well, right? That's, that's Dixon saying, look, when you're talking about EAT, uh, you should be paying attention to Marie. And, and that's uh, very much a recommendation. Thank you, Dixon, for, for uh, recommending us. Now, the next couple of links I see are spam. I see an Alexa top domain list. And oh, <laughs> I'm not going to click on this one, but there's a link from a website offering me a Google search algorithm update coupon. <laughs> what the heck? I don't care about that. That's clearly spam and Google's likely ignoring it. And oh, here, okay, here's a link from an article called 50 best SEO blogs to follow in 2021. Uh, and they've linked to our blog. Thank you. That again is another mention and recommendation for our company. So now I want you to do the same with your links. Ignore all the spammy auto-generated ones and instead look at the last 10 or so links that aren't spam that your site received. And what you're looking for is how much of a role you played in getting these links. Now, it's not against Google's algorithms to ask for a link. If I asked you in this podcast episode whether you'd link to our article on EAT and you decided to do so, I'd call that a good link. But if I asked you to publish a guest post on your site in which I've linked back to my own post on EAT, that's not a natural recommendation. Hopefully you can see the difference here. So when you go back to what John said in this help hangout, when he was asked what a quality backlink is, and John commented saying that a lot of people are hung up on trying to make your backlinks look natural as opposed to actually having truly natural recommendations. And, and here was the part of his quote that caused a little bit of a controversy. He said, essentially when it comes to links, Google's point of view is that they should be things that are not organized by you, that are not paid for by you, and that are not created by you but rather they should be naturally earned, uh, naturally people who say, well, this is really cool. I really like that. 
the really interesting part in this to me is where he says, I mean, we know that paid links are against Google's guidelines, right? But where he says not organized by you. So I tweeted about this and uh, Darcy Burke replied to me on Twitter, pointing out that you could argue that Harrow submissions are organized by you. Just for those of you who maybe don't know what Harrow is, H-A-R-O stands for help a reporter out. And it's a free way that you can connect with journalists who are looking for somebody to give a quote in a story. And we actually recommend this for our clients. I think sometimes it can be overdone, but uh, done well, I think those can still be good links. I think in some cases it can be a great way to get mentioned in the press. And I think it's vastly different than say a widespread guest posting campaign. Let's say I have a client who's a dentist and I see on Harrow that there's a journalist who's doing a story on cavities. So my dentist client, they might respond to Harrow and make themselves available for an interview for a quote. And let's say this article gets published and it says a line that says, according to Dr. So-and-so, here's something you need to know about cavities. I'd argue that this is quite different than me providing a publisher with an article in the form of a guest post that contains a link back to my dentist client's website. The difference here is that the journalists have to actually choose you to quote. But I have seen some sites though that can get into trouble by overdoing it with Harrow. It's not black and white. Um, one of the responses to my tweet on this came from David Carillon, and he said, when one organizes, creates, and pays for links, patterns emerge, and that's the reality. And that's how Google is able to tell patterns. And it, honestly, that's how we assess sites with manual actions as well. We look for patterns of obvious unnatural link building. So these are things that we can, these are two things that we can talk about here. That one is whether this type of link can cause you to get a manual action or can cause your site to be suppressed algorithmically if you've been really overdoing it in terms of link building. I, I've talked a lot about that in the past, and I don't think I'm going to do more. I'm not going to go more down that road in this episode. I think the more important issue, though, is that so many people are creating links that I really feel Google's algorithms are ignoring. Somebody else responded to this tweet saying, that makes probably 95% of SEO practitioners black hats. I'm not sure I completely agree with that. I, I think most of you who are building links that aren't actually natural mentions, you're not outright black hats. Uh, you're trying things, your link building has been a, a tool that's been very effective for many years. And it's hard to prove that link building is not effective. At least, uh, I shouldn't say all link building is not effective, but again, most of what SEOs are doing, a large portion of it, I really believe is not effective. So, um, I mentioned this before, but a client of mine a few years ago asked me to look at some links. He'd had contracted a very well-known SEO agency to organize for them. I won't out them. You've all heard of this agency, I'm sure. And, and this is really common. They weren't paid links. They were made under the guise of content marketing. And what this SEO agency did, and this is what many agencies do, is they hired content writers to write articles that are connected to this client's topic. And then they have agreements with many different publishers across the web who are desperate for content who will publish that article. That also happens to contain a link to this, their client. So this type of link it used to work really well for many years. And some of you are telling me today that it still works well, but I don't know that I buy that.
But this particular client had this well-known SEO agency publish quite a few articles across the web with links pointing back to just one particular section of their website. I can't remember the exact scale of this, but I believe there were links on the scale of hundreds, probably low hundreds. They, they did this for several months and saw zero improvement on those pages. And it cost a lot of money. I believe they were paying $10,000 a month for several months to do this content marketing. So my biggest concern right now is not that those of you who were building links instead of earning links are going to get a manual action or even are going to be algorithmically suppressed. That still happens in my opinion, but I think the sites that we see now with manual actions are, are ones that have links like this on the scale of thousands, sometimes tens of thousands, which is mind blowing when you think of how much money has been wasted on these links. Again, I'm not saying that all link building efforts are garbage. If you can truly get your client mentioned on websites that are seen as authoritative and trustworthy and their vertical, uh, trustworthy in their verticals, that's excellent. As far as we know, PageRank's still a big part of Google's algorithms. When, when Google launched Penguin 4.0 again in September of 2016, they told us that they're going to be ignoring a huge number of links across the web. And I had wondered for a while if maybe Google only passed PageRank through links from sites that demonstrated good EAT. It's possible, but now I'm actually thinking what's happening here is that getting mentioned or getting linked to from an authoritative site, it improves your entity associations. So if that dentist gets mentioned in an article on cavities and that article happens to be an authoritative dental website, then that strengthens the entity associations between our client and dentistry and cavities and so on, which improves their authority which speaks to their EAT. So don't stop trying to get mentioned in authoritative places. We're, we're still currently, we're currently working with a couple of referral partners that we feel do a pretty good job of PR public relations, not uh, press releases. And with their help, our clients have been able to get some really good authoritative mentions that do seem to be helping. So if you're interested in more about that, you can reach out to us at help at mariehaines.com. Uh, Andrew, our head of link auditing at MHC, he's been working hard on vetting these partners and finding the right partners to connect with our clients. Um, but if your strategy is still to get as many links as you can, no matter what it takes, unless those links are truly recommendations for your content or your business, I'd really question that strategy. And I'd urge you to look at how effective those links are. What else can we talk about here? Uh, we've got some really helpful stuff in newsletter uh, this week. We've got a bit of discussion on some new things that people are seeing in featured snippets that happened coincidental with passage-based ranking. Uh, Barry Schwartz says these are just featured snippets. It's nothing to do with passage-based ranking. Um, we've got some stuff in newsletter on how web stories in Discover are being reported differently than they have been in Search Console. So if you use web stories, you probably want to pay attention to that. Uh, there's a couple of discussions that are relevant to affiliate websites. Um, somebody noticed that after the December core update, all of their search results, there are very few affiliate sites ranking. And John Mueller said that affiliate sites can be great but many of them don't add enough extra value to convince Google to rank them higher than the original vendor. If you have a website that makes money off of affiliate links, one of the best pieces of advice that I can give you is to truly find ways to add value beyond just sending the searcher to Amazon. 
And by adding value, I don't mean, oh, we've got the best, uh, we've curated the best reviews from Amazon, or it's easier to search through the product line, like some, something like that. Organizing content is not going to make Google think that it's better content. Um, something that can work really well is user-generated content or buying guides or FAQs. You're basically trying to answer the needs to meet the needs of the searchers who are thinking of buying this product. There's also some great tips from John Mueller for sites that have a page with a tool or a calculator. He mentioned how having good titles and headings can help and even suggested writing blog posts about your tool so that Google can gather more information about it. If the only thing on your tool page is the tool itself, and that doesn't give Google much information about what it does and why they should show that tool to searchers. So lots of good stuff to read there. Once again, I'm on vacation next week. And by vacation, I mean, I'm becoming one with my couch. I'm going to play a bunch of Fortnite, probably do some housework and there will be no podcast next week, but newsletter will still be published. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have, I'd really, really love it if you could take time to just leave me a like on whatever platform you're listening to, or maybe even a comment. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. And I wish you the best of luck with your rankings. Mm -hmm.